You guys have, clo- you guys have clo- coats in your closet that you never wear, right? Yes. You got that parka that you just can't let go? Yeah. You're like, maybe I'll need that. Maybe. <laughs> like when? <laughs> hey, welcome everybody watching my live stream. We want to welcome everyone here. I uh, want to encourage you to share the stream. I want to share with you uh, a vision. We are uh, embarking on a vision project for the next couple of years. And this is a tremendous opportunity um, for this church to go to another level. So I want to share with you a little bit briefly about what we're going to do. I'm going to you know, reinforce it with some stories from Scripture. And then uh, uh, Marcus Smith is going to come and uh, share with you a little bit. He's one of our elders. He's going to uh, come and share uh, the nuts and the bolts of, of this project with you. So this is where Vision 25, we're calling it Arise and Build. Uh, it's not anything original, but we, it's, it works for our purposes. We want, say it with me, we want to arise because we are elevate. We want to go forward. We want to build the work of God. So the Lord has given us a vision for the next 24 months, and it consists of three parts. We want to build, we want to equip, and we want to go. And so the equipping and the going part, we've kind of got going, but we really believe that God wants to stabilize this church and wants to move this church into a stronger position uh, within the community. And how many would agree with that? Right? So the heart of our church, we're apostolic, which means we're sent ones. We believe that we're not just supposed to sit around and occupy till Jesus comes, but we're actually supposed to get up and do something. So that's what we believe. So that's called an apostolic mandate. The, the word apostolic, don't be freaked out by that. It simply means a sent one. That's all it means, sent ones, right? So they're sent ones. Paul was an apostle. Why? He was a sent one. What was he sent to do? He was sent around the world and established churches around the world. You see that with all the apostles that were with Jesus. It's an apostolic mandate. So we, we, we take that on as a church. Um, we're sent on mission with the kingdom of God. And that and the mission that we carry, the mission that we bring forth into this house, and the mission that we want you to bring forth from this place is the kingdom. And the mission that we strive to bring into the community and anywhere and everywhere this church touches, we try to bring the kingdom of God. That's what we try to do. And that's what we do do. And that's what we try to be effective with. So we want to build. So this is the aspect that I want to talk to you about. So it's build, equip, and go. I could talk about equipping and going another time, but I'll talk about this part for you. Um, So build, what we want to do is we want to buy property in the next 18 to 24 months. And what we want to do, we have, we have, there's six phases as I see it. Um, the first phase is we need to raise the capital. Uh, the second phase is that we need to acquire a suitable property. Uh, the third phase is this is the, this is the linchpin of the, of the project, is we want to establish a preschool on the property. And once the preschool is operational and functional, and it depends on how quickly we can get to that place, we want to start a second campus. And so second campuses are nothing new. What they do is they provide us with influence. We're kind of landlocked where we are. I don't know if you've been outside lately. We are very landlocked. We basically have a building, and that's about it, you know? So we want to be able to do some things in the community. We want to be able to hold events. We want to be able to do uh, things for the family. We want to be able to, you know, really uh, use our property and not just our building as a catalyst uh, into the, the area. So we have a plan for that as well. We've done it actually before. We just haven't had our own property. So we want to, if that, establish the preschool, start a second campus. Uh, we want to build out a media center. This is, all, this is all down the road. The immediate plan is the first three phases. Raise the capital, find the property, start the f- preschool. That's the immediate plan. Phase four would be 
bring another campus into play. The fourth one would be to build out a media center. So we are very effective in the media sense. So uh, your church, we have over 100,000 people on social media close to it. So um, we have 37,000 subscribers, 37,000 on Instagram. We have about 15, I think we're shadow banned on Instagram because it will not break the 15,000 barrier. And I think they're shadow banning us. Do I say Jesus too much, Instagram? Is that what I do? Or not Instagram. Instagram's all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they, yeah, it's another story. Yeah, Facebook's, Facebook, rumor has it, Facebook shadow bans uh, churches that do healing. There's a lot, yeah, there's a lot of healing ministers that say the same thing. They don't shadow ban everything, but churches that do healing, for some reason, they shadow ban. Are you afraid of miracles, Facebook? Facebook, are you afraid of miracles? Anyway, another story. But, uh, and so we have, you know, whatever. So that's, that's our influence. We want to continue to create media. We believe the future of the church is in media and in the production of media. So we have a plan for that. This is all downward phases, but I'm trying to give you a big picture, right? So the, rumor, the rule is, is people are up on what they're in on. So I'm trying to get you in on it so you can get up on it. Uh, then we want, then the last phase would be to expand upon the existing phases. Uh, the plan is sound and the fundamentals are good. Uh, the project must, anything we do as a church must meet three criteria. So Elevate has a process of three criteria that, we, we, that I run everything through. And it's basically whatever we do must be significant. Whatever we do must be influential. And whatever we do must carry a legacy. If significance, influence, and legacy are not in the project, I don't want anything to do with it. And I'm certainly not willing to put the church behind it. We know we do things that maybe don't meet that criteria, but if we're going to do anything that we're going to put the force of the church behind, it has to meet the criteria of significance, it has to be influential, and there must be a legacy component attached to it. Or that's just that's how God has told me he wants it done. So that's really it. The preschool is the linchpin. Why is the preschool a linchpin? Because it's significant. So let's just work through this. Is the preschool significant? So let me work you through. Because the question is, is why are we doing a preschool? I'm glad you asked. From a cultural perspective, there is a cause and there is a need. Yeah? You say, why is there a cause and why is there a need? Throw up that first slide, Alex. I hope I don't shock you all too bad. Because a drag queen story time is coming to a preschool near you. I don't know if you're aware of what's going on in our culture. I don't know if you're aware of how much the culture is, the, 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 is inundating. Uh, and they're particularly going at the level of the preschool. They're not just changing the curriculum in the elementary level. They're not just changing the curriculum at the high school level. And if you don't, are not aware of this, you need to get your head out of the sand, Christian. You really do. They're implementing a process into the preschools. Now, peop these people are not our enemies, but the spirit behind it is. You understand that? Our battle's not with flesh and blood, but our battle is with the demonic. And one of the problems that the church has abandoned the demonic narrative, we don't see anything as demonic. And because we don't see it as demonic, the, the demonic runs right over us. We don't understand that, it's, that, that there's, there's things here that are not correct and they're not congruent with what God says. And so there is a cause and there is a need. Sorry, and you know what's crazy is that there's more graphic images than this. If you look up uh, drag queen preschool shows, there are ones that are far worse than the one that I, that I, the one that I use, which is sick and sad. This is going on right now. So anyway, you say, you're shocking me, Kevin. You're shocking me. I'm trying to wake you up. I'm trying to wake you up to the fact that there is a cause, Christian. 
You know what David said to his brothers when he went out to fight the giant and all they did was mock him? Anybody know what he said? They mocked him. Why are you here, David? What do you think you're going to do, David? Why are you here? Why are you here? Do you know what David said before he went out to fight Goliath? Is there not a cause? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine, which means non-covenantial? Who is this Philistine who has no covenant with our God that profanes his name publicly and shames the name of Christ? And he looks at his brothers and he goes, why are you standing around and doing nothing? Is there not a cause? Is there not a reason for us to bring this forward? Is there not a reason for truth to come forward? You can take it down. <laughs> you guys are like, man, you're locking that in, Kevin. You're locking. I got another one, but I'm not too sure I'm going to share that one. I don't know. I'm holding that one back. I don't know. But. So it just depends on how dramatically I wanted to make this point. Who wants me to show it? Okay, hold on. So let me set it up first. If you need a visual aid that tells you what the devil wants, anybody, you want a visual aid to understand what the devil is working towards, throw it up there, Alex. Right? What is he, what is he working towards? He's working towards your children, people. This statue actually... That this is Baphomet, which is an emblem, emblematic of the devil, has breasts. But this statue, I think this one's the one in Washington, D.C. Oh, by the way, in the last 10 years, the United States has erected up at four of these. We have one in Washington, D.C., Atlanta, Arkansas, and Detroit. We've erected statues of Baphomet in your backyard. And the true image of this statue is that there's breasts because Baphomet's transgender. Did you know that? But you know why they don't do it in the American cultures? Because the Americans wouldn't palate the breasts being there. But, oh, it's okay. We can put the goat god up there with the children around him. That's perfectly fine. Do you, do, you under, do you understand what the narrative is here? Do you understand what the plan is here? I don't know if you do or not. Yeah, I don't know if you get it. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. This, 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 you know who's the salt and the light? Who's the salt and the light? If the salt loses its savor, it's good for what? Nothing. Right. It's good for nothing. It's good for nothing. And do you know what the church is in our culture? Good for nothing. We stand for nothing. We speak for nothing. We're just shiny, happy people with pinwheels skipping around going, woo, Jesus loves us all. People are broken. So I want to be clear on this point before I move on. People are broken. It's not the people that personify this spirit. The people are broken. And if you understand how the devil manifests, he manifests through the brokenness, the pride, and the ego of man. So it's not the person that's, that's the problem. It's the spirit that is manifesting through the brokenness of the person, and it's the spirit that is manifesting through the pride, the ego, or the twisted will of the person. Do you understand that? Okay, good. We can move on. <laughs> yeah. Listen, this is what's going on. You know, I didn't want, I was debating whether or not I was going to show it. So, you know, but. What's that? They're totally grooming your kids. If you don't think they're grooming your kids, you, you're, you're, you, you need to wake up. Maybe that's okay with you. Some Christians, unbeknownst to me, some Christians think it's perfectly fine. There's nothing wrong with this. You know, there's nothing wrong with this. That's another story for another day. But you need to understand that you're, this, is, this is what is going on. And why am I saying this? Because not only this is, this is, is what we're trying to do, does it have a significant impact? Yeah, I think there should be options. I think parents should have options. We want to start a preschool that's not tiddlywink preschool. This is a full-on Christian school. 
This is a school where we're going to teach these kids worship. We're going to teach them the prophetic if it's from the age that they can understand it. And the parents walking in the door, we're not hiding Jesus from nobody. We're not just a good little Christian place where your kid will be safe. No, man, your kid's going to get the gospel. We're going to teach your kid how to pray. We're going to teach your kid how to worship. We're going to teach your kid how to do hallelujahs, right? And so when your four-year-old comes down and starts going, hallelujah, you're going to go, what in the world are they learning? They're learning Jesus. This is a significant thing. This is an important thing, Christian. And you've got to understand this. We're not in a culture war. We're in a culture surrender. There's no culture war. The church has already surrendered. We haven't even, we haven't even, we just open up the door and say, oh, come right on in. Oh, absolutely. Never before, but this is where we're at. This, unfortunately, it's this where we're at. And the biggest problem is the biblical illiteracy of the Christian that thinks that this stuff is okay. They think it's okay. Well, it's legal. That's what I've heard people tell me. I'm like, just because it's legal doesn't mean it's moral. Just because it's legal doesn't mean it's righteous. Just because it's legal doesn't mean it's right to God. You say, but it feels right. We're not to walk by emotions. We're to walk by truth, not emotions. Another story, another day. Right? Okay. I'm trying to keep my friends here as much as possible. Without. It's sad. You know what's sad? Timothy says men will not endure sound doctrine in the last days. Do you know what's sad? Is that you can't even, t- you can't even say this stuff anymore because people won't take it. And you know what that is? That is evidence of the last day's church. They will not listen to anything that does not tickle their ears. People will not endure it. They will remove themselves from anything that does not tickle their fancy. And the Bible says they will heap up for themselves teachers who will teach them what they want to hear. That is the sign of the apostate church of the last days, when Christians can't hear truth anymore, or they won't sit under truth anymore. That's a problem. So hopefully this is a wake-up call. (laughs) We should be awoken from our sleep. For the night is far spent and the day is fast approaching. Let us stop sleeping. This is what the Bible commands. Awake from your sleep. The night is far gone and the day, the day of his coming, is coming. It's time that we stop taking a nap and it's time that we wake up. And it's time that we embrace and begin to move forward in significant things of the Lord. I tell people all the time, the book of Acts is the book that follows the gospel. It's not the book of sitting. We have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And the fourth book, of, the fifth book of the Bible, the fifth book of the New Testament is the gospel of sitting. You say, no, it's the book of Acts. Well, if you look at the American church, you'd think it's the book of sitting. Because the church takes no action. There's no meaningful action on any level. What God intends us to do with the message of the gospel is to take meaningful action. Christian, this is meaningful action. It provides us so this, uh, there needs to be a kingdom option, and we believe in that. Jesus wants children to be taught of him. Do you know that? Do you know that? It's commanded in the, New Test- in the Old Testament. It says, teach them everywhere you go. When you're walking with your children, teach them about me. When you walk in the door with your children, teach them about me. And you're coming and you're going and you're rising and you're sleeping, teach them about me. Hmm? We are to teach our children about Jesus, about the Jesus of the Bible, not the, not the Jesus of fairyland or the Jesus of the culture, the Jesus that is the king and the ruler of all. This is what we're to do. So this is a significant project, and it's worthy of your attention. It's not 
a mandate, it is a mandate, but it's also an honor. When God enables us to participate in something that he wants to do, he honors us. He honors us. It provides, the, the, the preschool will provide us with the ability to pay for the property independent of the church. And this is what we want. So this is a financial thing, but you have to understand, in the Garden of Eden, God fed the garden with four, four rivers. So any kind, anytime God sustains or creates a garden or does anything, he, does, he feeds it from more than one source. Hmm? You understand that? And so it's important for a church, an entity, even a family, for you guys to have multiple sources of income. Why? Because it's biblical. It's in the Bible. God fed the garden with four rivers, not one, four. And so we want to create those four rivers. We want to partner with Jesus and create those four rivers that enable the church to move forward. The tithe and the offering pays for the ministry, but that's about all it does. That's about all it does. If you look at what churches survive on, churches don't survive on the tithes and the offering because the tithes and the offering pay for basically the operating costs. And do you know why? Because that's what it's designed to do. When churches move forward, it's usually because that church has an alternate source of revenue. That church has a school attached to it. Some churches, some of these churches even in the areas, they have nobody in their congregation. Their tithe is basically zero. Their whole entity exists because they have a school attached to it because the school pays for everything else. You understand that? Am I making sense to you guys? Am I making yes. dollars and cents? Yes. Right? You know, I know this is, the, but this isn't just how the church works. This is how God enables businesses and families to thrive. These are biblical principles. And so the church will provide the ability for the church to pay for the property independent of the church, which will enable the church to expand its ministry and go forward in a more dynamic way. Listen, elevates God. I don't know if y'all sitting here feel the same way as I do, but I know I feel this way. And I know if I feel this way, then this church has to feel this way because you all come and listen to me every week, right? I feel like we have a lot to offer. Anybody, anybody here feel like you got something to offer, right? And that our church has something to offer and that God wants us to rise with influence and to be impactful, and to be a voice within our generation? I do. <laughs> so the second one, so number one, is it significant? Yes, it's significant. It couldn't be more significant. In the culture that we live in, a godly-filled, a spirit-filled preschool couldn't be more significant than it is now. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I, every day I read something about what's going on in the schools, and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is madness. This is madness. It's madness, and we need to rise up and do something different. We need to let the excellency of the ministry be the protest. Hmm? Do what we do well, and that becomes the protest, and that becomes the avenue and the opportunity where other people, God's, I'm telling you right now, I already know where this is going to go, where, what God's going to do with this. Uh, the second piece is influential. Is it an influential? What does influential mean? Does it affect change? Is what we're doing, is it significant? Is it meaningful? Does it, is, it, is there a reason for it to exist? That's the first thing. Then the second thing is influential. Will it affect change? Will this bring change? That's the question. With the parents, yes. We will provide a, a connection and an opportunity for ministry and a kingdom bridge. Most parents who put their kids in preschools actually are single mothers. That's, that's just a fact. I would say 70% are single mothers. You don't think single moms need some ministry? Huh? You don't think single moms need Jesus? You don't think single moms need somebody to tell them that Jesus loves them and to provide them with an opportunity to catalyze a relationship with them? So is, it, is, it, is this influential? Yes, we'll use it to influence the parents, and we're going to use it to influence the children and to impact the children. We want to sow seeds into their hearts that they carry for the rest of their life. Hmm? Matthew 19, Jesus said, 
Do permit the children to come to me and do not forbid them, for this is the kingdom of heaven. And then Jesus laid hands on them before he left them. Nobody, everybody wanted the kids away from Jesus. And Jesus is like, hold on. The kids want to come to me? Get, everybody get out of the way and let the kids come to me. And the Lord, if you see this, he personally ministered to the children. I don't know if you know that. Jesus didn't, I don't know if you followed the storylines of the gospel. He didn't personally minister, minister to a lot of people. He wasn't running around laying hands on everyone. But he laid hands on all of these children. He personally ministered to these children. That's how much it matters to him. Hmm? Is it legacy? Does it have legacy? Is there a lasting result to it? That's our, sec that's our third criteria. Will this be something that can be multi-generational, or will this be something that can move forward? Is this something that will last? Well, from a church perspective, it will provide legacy in, in giving us lasting stability. We own the property. How many knows it's better to own than it is to rent? Yeah. Right? It's not always economically comparable, but at the same time, you own the property. You're not renting. The landlord changes the terms with you. You lease, don't renew the lease. You know, all that stuff. You've got to deal with all that nonsense when you're renting. This provides us with a permanency and an ability to be stable. We can do what we want. Hmm? If we want to have a Jesus, we want to have a Jesus festival outside, we can have a Jesus festival outside. We want to worship outdoors. We want to do a family event. We want to do anything that, that, that suits what it is that, we, that, that fits the criteria of this church and what our heart drives us towards and what the Lord mandates. We want to do that. So we'll have a lasting relationship upon the church. We'll own the property. It will have a lasting impact within the community. It will give elevate a visible presence beyond what we have now. We're believing God for visible property. We're off the road here. I mean, you know, we're close, but we're still off the road. We don't want to be off the road anymore. We want to be pachow. <laughs> Jesus, the hope of the world. We want to come right out there, man. We want to be on, up front, and center. We want to bring spirit. This, will it be legacy? Here's other legacy. It would enable us to provide spiritual and social value beyond Sunday. Hmm? How many knows we're supposed to provide spiritual and social value beyond Sunday as Christians? Yeah? So this will enable this church to provide spiritual and social value beyond one day a week or beyond just internal services. So does it have legacy attached to it? And the answer is yes. And so it meets all of this criteria. And this is a together project. This isn't something that we can do as individuals. There's not an individual. When God does something, he, he chooses to work with the congregation of his people. And the willingness of the congregation determines the outcome. God says, this is what I want. And, he's at, and then he throws it out there to see if the hearts will align with what it is that he wants. That's really what it is. Well, God's going to do what he wants to do. No, he won't. He wanted to bring Israel into the promised land, but the first generation wouldn't go. They didn't want to go. Was it God's will to bring them into the promised land? Absolutely, but they weren't aligned with the vision that he had. We have to align with the vision that God lays out for us, and we move forward. It's a corporate mandate. Say it with me. It's a together project. Say it with me. I can't do everything, but I can do something. <laughs> Happy day. So I'm going to hit you with a little bit of uh, Nehemiah. So in the book of Nehemiah, what's happening here, Israel, I'm going to do a little bit of Nehemiah and a little bit of Haggai. So what's happening in the book of Nehemiah is that the children of Israel have been exiled from their nation. They didn't obey the Lord, so therefore they lost what God had given them, and God put them in timeout. That's basically what it is. Anybody put your kids in timeout when they won't listen to you? Right? In the naughty corner? I don't know, whatever you call it. 
that's got a new branded name or anything like that. They put them in timeout. And so they were in timeout for 70 years. They were in a nation called Babylon. 70 years later, God told them how long you're going to be there. It's like you tell your kid, now you're in timeout for two minutes. The kid might not even know what two minutes is, but still, you, tell, you usually tell them that, right? So he tells them, you're going to be in timeout for 70 years. 70 years is up. God opens the door to send the people back. He first sends a man named Ezra. Ezra goes back with a group of people. And then later, he is followed by a man named Nehemiah. So in the books of Ezra and the books of Nehemiah, what God is doing is he is sending the people back to build up his presence in the city. You understand that? He's releasing them from their captivity, and he's enabling them to go. What's crazy is when Ezra and Nehemiah went, there were almost a million Jews in Persia. You want to guess how many people actually volunteered to go? Anybody? Throw a number at me. Out of a million people, how many volunteered? How many? 10,000? 20? Getting warmer. 50. 50. That's out of a million. Out of a million of God's people. You get that? Out of a million people, one million were offered the opportunity to put their hand to the work of the Lord, and only 50,000 took Jesus up on the offer. You know what that is? It's a a statistic. The statistic is is that 95% of the people will do nothing with their life. That's a fact. 95% of people will do nothing with their life. Only 5% of human beings on the planet today will even attempt anything significant. Attempt. This is a fact. You, see, you can see it right here in the Bible. 50,000 out of a million that volunteered to go. You see, Jesus doesn't need an army to get the job done. He needs 50,000 committed, and I'll get the job done. Hmm? You, see, you see it also in, in with uh, Gideon. He didn't need an army. He didn't need 10,000 with Gideon. He needed 350 who were committed. 350 that were committed, that weren't half-hearted, that said, I'm going to do this, and I'm committed. Israel was, in, was out of the land for 70 years. They were in timeout. The Lord opened the door for them to return, to build, to do two things. First thing was to build the temple, establish worship. Second thing was to restore the city. Only 5% attempted the extraordinary. Say this with me. Nothing, Nothing. Extraordinary, extraordinary will ever happen until I leave the ordinary. Nothing extraordinary will ever happen until you leave the ordinary. If you are not willing to leave the ordinary, nothing extraordinary will ever happen. Write that down, Twitter it, whatever it is you got to do, throw that up on TikTok, because that's a fact. Until you're willing to leave the the ordinary, nothing extraordinary will will ever happen. Jesus needs the commitment of the few, and that few, he wants them to play all out. Anybody want to play all out for Jesus? I want to play, I'm on record and I'm on tape. I want to go all out for Jesus. And I want to play all out for Jesus. I don't want to play all out for anybody else. I want to play all out for Jesus. And I ask myself all the time, Kevin, you playing all out? You playing all out? When I feel tired, I go to the mirror. (laughs) You playing all out, man? You playing all out? And I take a deep breath, and I invite the Holy Spirit, and I charge up again, and I go. Because I want to play all out with Jesus. And I can't do it in my strength. I do it in his. There were four types of people that Nehemiah and Haggai talked to. If you want to know just a little bit of your Bible, which I'll throw this in there. So you have Ezra and Nehemiah. And what's going on during this time period, there's three prophets, Haggai, Habakkuk, and Malachi. They're all the prophets to these people. They're, so when you read the, if you ever read the books of Haggai, Habakkuk, and Malachi, those prophets are speaking specifically to the, to the people that are rebuilding the temple. 
God has a word for people who do the work. You know what's interesting? Is that there's almost no word to the exile after this point. Once God sent Nehemiah and Ezra back, there's almost no prophetic word to the exiles. Almost none. Is that nuts? The prophets stopped prophesying to the exiles because they were sent back to the land. Because God doesn't have a word for people who won't do anything. Isn't that interesting? I find that fascinating. I find that very fascinating that God is prophesying to the ones who are actually trying to do something. And the ones that wanted to stay behind, he's like, oh, yeah, I'll get to you later. I'm, I'm busy over here. He doesn't have a word for the people who do nothing. He has a word for those who will do. That's nuts. So Nehemiah would go back and forth. What Nehemiah started doing, Ezra went forth, and then Nehemiah comes, and Nehemiah was going back and forth between Jerusalem and Babylon. And what was he doing? He was, doing, he was trying to keep the money raised. So, okay, all you guys are going to stay back here. You're going to keep your businesses. Oh, I got, you got a lifestyle back here. Okay, well, the least you can do is give the money so that we can actually do the work. That's what he would tell them. And he was raising money, and then he was trying to keep the peace between the Persians. He would tell the Persians, hey, you know, the king would come, Nehemiah would be like, hey, this is what's going on. Here's what we're doing. So he'd keep, he'd keep the king updated, try to keep the peace. And then he'd kick the rest of the Jews in the butt and tell them, some of you need to get up off your butts and go and do this work. He was constantly trying to provoke people to go forward. Constantly. This is what Nehemiah was doing. And he encounters four different types of people. There's four different types of people in this story. I'm going to summarize it for you. The first are the naturally minded. The naturally minded are indifferent. Nah, it's not important. Nah, this doesn't really matter. And Nehemiah found out that the people were, when Nehemiah was in Persia, he comes back and he had been gone for a while and everybody that was in Jerusalem had become indifferent to the task that God had given them. Say it with me. They stopped caring it didn't matter to them anymore. It didn't matter. And so it says in Nehemiah chapter 13, he says, when I got back and I found out they, everything was a mess, Nehemiah says, I commanded them to clean the rooms, right? Put this crap in order. And he said, I brought back to them the articles of the house of God. And I brought back the offering and the frankincense. He said, I set religious worship back in order. But I realized that the people were not giving to the work of the Lord. The Levites were not being provided for, and they had to go and plow fields. You see, the people were living in paneled houses, driving SUVs, got cell phone, iPhones, 531, issue 531. You know, they got anything and everything, but God's house was being neglected. And Jeremiah, Nehemiah comes to them, and he sets them in their place. And it wasn't just the people, it was the leaders. And the first conversation he has with the leaders, and he's like, you guys need to get this in order. You forget who you are. And you forget who you serve. And you forget who comes first. That's what he tells them. And then he goes to the people and he reminds them, remember who you are. Remember who you serve and remember who comes first. And this, so we have a group of people that are indifferent. This is what happens. And he said, I brought the rulers together and I asked them, why are you forsaking the Lord's work? And so I gathered them and all of the people together, and I set them all in their place. In other words, I told them what time it was, because the people had become indifferent. They'd become indifferent to the honor of the Lord. They'd become indifferent to the work of the Lord. And they just were just like, oh, man, oh, come on, man. God's got this. Jesus is going to do whatever Jesus wants to do. Oh, the temple will get built when the temple gets built. Ah, I don't need it to do anything. Ah, ah, ah. Indifference. Indifference. 
The work of the Lord never showed up on their radar. It didn't matter to them. It didn't matter to them. They were consumers, not communers. They would only take from what the Lord would offer. They would never participate in what he was doing. And there is a difference. The second group, they always had an excuse. <laughs> this is the second group. It's found in the book of Haggai. And who addresses them directly? This is interesting. It wasn't Nehemiah addressing them. The prophet addressed them with the word of the Lord. And he says, you shall speak this to the people. For the people say, the time has not come to build my house. Then, I then he said, then you shall say this to them. Well, then has it come for you to dwell in your own paneled houses while my house and my work lies in ruins? Now, therefore, listen to what the Lord of hosts says. Consider your ways. What is he doing? He's reminding them who they are. We are sons and daughters of our father. We are to be about our father's business. You understand? He's, identi he's identifying to them the, the, their identity. He's identifying them the priority of their worship and the priority of the Lord. Seek first the kingdom of God and what is right to him, and everything will be added unto you. God has no problem blessing his people. What he has a problem with is when we are indifferent to his work. And what he has a problem with is when we make 15 excuses. Well, what kind of excuses do we make? Ah, oh, bro, it's not time to do this preschool, man. I'm trying to put a pool in my backyard. Come on, man. I just put my kids in college. And you're going to raise money for a preschool? Come on, man. And here's the one that we all cop out on. Have you seen the economy? Have you seen the economy? We can't do a preschool now. The economy's bad. When it comes to excuses, Christians, we all have them. You can cop out on an excuse anytime you want. But you know what? Jesus doesn't accept them. How do you know that? Because he says so. He begins to command people to participate in his kingdom. And one says to him, I just bought a piece of ground. I got to go take care of it. Bro, I just bought a condo. I got to paint it. You know, I got to put in a new kitchen. I can't serve you now. And another said, I've got five yoke of oxen. Dude, I just bought a new car. I got to get that thing flexed before I can come to serve you. I have five yoke of oxen. I got to go test this thing out, man. I got to go test these oxen out. I can't serve you. I can't give. I got to put my money into my 22s. You know what I mean? I can't do this. Still another says, I've married a wife, and I can't come. This is always a good cop-out. She doesn't want me to give, Pastor. I would give, but she just doesn't want me to give. You know what happens? The women want to give more than the men do. That's a fact. Amen. Usually. Usually. <laughs> Usually it's the woman dragging the husband behind who doesn't want to honor the Lord. Amen. Yeah, I had a woman. I'll tell you a quick story. I had a woman one time say to me, she, uh, the, this guy, and a long story, I won't get too much into it, but she was always wanting to give. This chick was, they had a lot of money, and he, he, was, a little, he was a bit miserly. I don't care. It's not my deal. It's between you and the Lord. But every time I'd get around this woman, she would go, Pastor, what do you need? And I would say, well church could use this and this woman would whip out her checkbook and write me a check and this guy would practically go white in the face he'd be like <gasps> you know every time she did that and she did that like two or three times and then you know what happened he wanted to have lunch with me and he would leave his wife at home he 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 bracketed that woman from me every time and then when they would come together he would always like oh hey pastor how's it going you know because he didn't want her to ask me that question and I wasn't putting any needs before her. Her heart was to honor the Lord. Her heart was to bless God's house. It was in her heart to do it. God is good to me, and I want to be good to him. 
What can I do to honor the Lord? This guy's using his wife as an excuse. I can't give. My wife won't let me give. My wife, she just won't let me do it. i got a wife. i got to take care of her. I can't give to that. I can't give. So the servant came and reported these things to the master. He said, all these people got excuses. And I'll give you the mild version. It says, the master was not pleased. He came back and told the Lord, you've offered these things to these people. You've honored these things towards these people. And they all have excuses, Lord. What do you want me to do? And you know what he says? It's fascinating. He says, I'm moving past them. That's what he said. I'm moving past them. If they cannot respect the honor that I'm paying them, then I'll go find a people that they will. You tell them to keep what they have. You tell them to go their way. You tell them that's okay. I don't have need of you. I'm going in a different direction. And I will find a people who will honor me. Hmm? And you see this theme repeated again and again. If you don't think Jesus is going to move past you when you keep telling him no, he'll move, past, he'll move right on down the line, man. <laughs> he'll move right on down the line. You know why? Because his agenda is a little bit bigger than you. And his agenda and the honor that he pays us is to participate in a great work. Do you know why? So that we have fruit in the everlasting kingdom. And so that when we come before him, we don't look like morons that have nothing in our hands. If we'll just listen to him, we have something to present him on that day. When we will stand before him, and you will present the fruit of your works to him on that day. And he's not going to be impressed with your stock portfolio, and he's not going to be impressed with your shell collection and your car collection. That's not going to impress him at all. What he wants to know is, what did you do to partner with me? You say, well, I don't know. And he's going to go, what about this opportunity? Oh, you had that excuse. What about this opportunity? Oh, you had that excuse. What about this opportunity? You had that excuse. He wants us to be, he doesn't need it from us. He'll find a people. He'll find a people. But he pays them an honor, and God moves past these people. So what is my challenge to you? Don't be indifferent, and don't have excuses. If you want to find an excuse, the devil's going to give you one, I can assure you. The devil will give you an excuse not to give. When she broke the alabaster box over Jesus, the devil was right there with an excuse. You should have sold that and gave it to the poor. He was right there to offer her an excuse as to why she shouldn't be generous and lavish upon Jesus. Devil will provide you with all the excuses you need. The Judas spirit. Say this. I renounce the Judas spirit in the name of Jesus. The third group is the faithful. Nehemiah says, I came to these people and I told them that the Lord is with us. And he is upon us. And, he told, and I told him what the open doors and the opportunities were. He said, I gave them the vision. And the people said to me, let us arise and let us build. These are the faithful. So we have the indifferent, the people that don't care. We have the others that just line out their excuses. They've got a lot of them. Everybody's got an excuse. Everybody's got an excuse. Then you got the fourth, the third group that says, you know what? If this is what the Lord wants, then this is what I'm going to do. If this is where the Lord wants to go, then this is where I want to go. That's the faithful. Let us arise and build. And then it says this. They all got together and set their hands to the work. You see, it's a together project. It's not an individual project. It's a together project. But there's one group here that's hidden. And you have to look for this group. Because this group's the radicals. The radicals are always the hidden group. Do you know who the radicals are? They are the portion the Lord reserves for himself. <laughs> These are the secret ones that God holds as his own because they have burning hearts 
They don't just have obedient and willing hearts. They have burning hearts. You say, well, who are these people, Kevin? It's a group called the Gibeonites. If you know anything about the Gibeonites, they were the group that betrayed Joshua. They deceived Joshua. And they went into the promised land. The Lord said, don't make any covenants with these people. Blah, blah, blah. Take their land because I'm giving it to you. Kick them out. You know, the whole thing. Jesus kicks people out of land all day long. Jesus gives nations, Jesus gives nations land. Jesus gives nations land. Okay? It's his. He can give it to whoever he chooses. And so he told Joshua, this belongs to you. And so the Gibeonites came and they, they deceived Joshua. What Joshua didn't do, Joshua didn't ask Jesus. So they made a covenant with Joshua. And the Lord's like, oh, you made a covenant with them? And he's like, yeah, Lord, I, you know, I kind of wasn't, I wasn't listening to you. It kind of, it looked like a good thing to do. So I did it. And so Joshua, and so the Lord said to him, okay, you will make these people hewers of wood and drawers of water. Interesting, right? And God looks at this. So if you see what's going on here, God sees them and says, this, these people have a reverence for me. They actually know I'm amazing and I'm awesome because he is. And they fear me in a good way. And they, don't, and they want to be a part of what I want to do. And so the Lord says, so they know an aspect of my presence. Now I'm going to show them a deeper side of my presence. They will draw the wood and they, they will draw the water and they will cut the wood. And where would they give the wood and where would, they, where would they burn the wood and where would they draw the water? On the temple mount. And so these people, God allowed them to draw water and cut wood to burn on the altar and the water for the priests. And so when the glory was moving, these people were right in the midst. They were right in the midst of the glory. And you see, you see what I'm talking about? These people were like, in 2 Chronicles, it says, when the glory of the Lord fell and the priests could not minister, the Gibeonites were there. And they were like, wow! <laughs> they had heard the stories from their ancestors of the God who moves in glory. Do you know who the first group that went back with Ezra? The first group. They weren't even Jews. The first ones who went back with Ezra. Ezra was the forerunner. Ezra went first. Nehemiah went second. Ezra went first, and a group went to him. And the first group that went with him were the Gibeonites. The Gibeonites were the first to go. You know why? Because they're saying, Jesus wants to bring glory to the land again? Let's do this. Let's do this. Our ancestors talked about it. We've never seen it. But there's been stories of the God who moves with glory. And he wants to go back and build this temple where he drops his glory. Then this is what we want to do. The Gibeonites were the first. They were the first movers on the opportunity. They didn't have to think about it. They weren't indifferent to it. I'll give you, I'll give, you want to see their indifference? I'm going to show you their the lack of indifference. They were not indifferent. They had no excuses. They didn't care. There was not even a hesitation. You don't read anything about an argument from these Gibeonites. God couldn't get his own covenant people to move, but he has these outsiders that have seen his glory and that know him, and they're like, I want to be a part of this. God's going to do something great. I'm in. They don't even think about it. They don't think about it. And what happens with Nehemiah? So they were the first to go with Ezra, and then with Nehemiah. Watch this. The Gibeonites did heavy labor. They did the heavy work. They didn't make excuses. They didn't run. It says they laid the beams of the doors and the bolts and the bars, and they set them into place next to them. And these repairs were done by the men of Gibeon. The Gibeonites are the brothers hoisting the beams. Setting the door. Hold it, Harry. Hold it. I got it. Tink, tink, tink. Ow, my finger. Oh, man, he lost a finger. Oh, it's okay. It's okay. It's all for Jesus. The Gibeonites, they made no excuse. They were forerunners, all in, and they did the heavy lifting. 
And this is hidden within the story. Why is it hidden? Because if you're not a forerunner, you'll never see it. You'll never see it. It's there. So the question, here's the question. I have two questions, right? So it's important. Say this, all change begins by realizing where I am. The next step is realizing where I need to go. Say that, come on. The next step is in realizing where I need to go. So sometimes we need to reflect on where we're at. (laughs) So we need to ask ourselves, which one am I? It's going to be painful for some people. Which one am I? Am I the one who is always indifferent, Lord? Well, I don't want to be that anymore. I want it to matter. Am I the one who always finds an excuse not to honor you, not to serve you, not to put any weight of my life behind you or anything that you do? Am I that person? Am I the indifferent one? Am I the one who makes up excuses? Am I the faithful one? When you're faithful, you just stepped into honor. You stepped into honor. But I challenge some of you to be forerunners, to be Gibeonites, to go all in and say, you know what? I'm going to do the heavy lifting on this. I'm going to get in on this, and I'm going to make sure that whatever needs to get done gets done. I'm going to be that guy. I want to see the glory of God in the land. I want to see the glory of God in my generation. I want to see, see, see something significant happen in this city and something significant happen in my lifetime. And so that's the question. It is the Lord who summons this work, and it's an honor, Christian. Which one are you, and which one do you want to be? <laughs> I want to be a Gibeonite, man. That's, that's what I want. I want to be the ones who are the closest to the fire. I want to be the ones who bring the water while the blood is lot, while the blood is coming. That's what they would be right there when everything was happening, and they would be experiencing that. They weren't just a part of it. They were up close and center. Which one do you want to be? It's God's work. Say it with me. It's the Lord's work. It is an honor to be asked, and Jesus is worthy of what he asks for. So I'm going to give like the last 15 minutes, and Marcus is going to come up, and he's going to talk about nuts and bolts. And then uh, we'll, we'll dismiss. All right, good morning, everybody. Um, so there's a few different things. That's a scary photo you got there. I know, it's distracting. He's got that drag queen story hour photo right there. Um, it's the so last slide. <laughs> I'm going to talk about uh, some of the mechanics of this. Okay, we're trying to raise 500000 and that money will go towards a down payment and then initial operating costs for a little while for the um, preschool, as well as any upgrades that we have to make. We're looking to purchase a residential property with about five acres. That gives us room to expand. A residential property allows us to put down a smaller down payment, and we get a bit, uh, better loan terms if we do that over a commercial. Uh, it also allows us a little bit of latitude on what we can and can't do with the property, more so than a commercial property. So out of that initial 500, we're going to spread this out over an 18-month giving period. So our final day when we close the campaign is going to be June 1st of 2025. And a month from today, not quite, December 3rd, we are going to start our giving period. Okay, What you're going to start seeing here is uh, cards that come out like this. This is our giving card. We'll have them available next week. This is basically just a pledge, okay? What we want you to do is we want you to take one of these when they become available and start praying about it 
over the next few weeks. Bring it back with you when you come back December 3rd, and then we'll, we'll do our drive, right? That's where we start tallying everything, and we see whether or not we've met our goal and what um, we're able to raise. This is just a pledge at this point. You can start giving right away if you want. We're not going to say no. As a matter of fact, Alex, can you go back to that last slide? If you look right over here, my left, your right, there's a new QR code. That's specifically for giving to the building fund. You'll see a drop-down. So when you go to that link, there'll be a drop-down. And if you hit the drop-down, you'll see building fund. There'll be an option there for building fund. Right. So anytime that you want to give to the building fund, whether it's electronically or it's through a check or it's through cash, make sure that it's noted as building fund. So it gets credited to the right account, and we can make sure that we track everything separately. The building money will go into a separate account than the general account so that we can draw on that as needed. It'll cover things like legal fees as well, anything that's necessary for the purchase of the property. Okay. Um, once we're in, the idea is that it will be self-sustaining. And at that point, we don't really need to continue to support. If you want to continue to support, that's great. But the big thing here is that we want you, over the next couple of weeks, to take the time to spend some time with the Lord and ask him, what shall I do? We've had the privilege, my wife and I, to do a few uh, different funds like this over the course of our uh, saved lives. And it's always interesting. Sometimes we've seen them where they put charts up and we need, you know, we need 10 people to give $5,000 and we need 20 people to give $1,000 and we reach our goal, right? We opted not to do that because what we found is that the first thing you do is you say, oh, well, I can do that instead of actually praying about it. And in the campaigns that we've been involved in, when you get the opportunity to pray about it, it's so much more enriching. You get more out of it. The Lord will tell you things that you're like, I, I don't know how that's going to happen. We did one of these uh, about 15 years ago, 10, 15 years ago, and we had no idea how we were going to meet that goal. It was a three-year campaign. And not only did we meet it, but we exceeded it only because God richly blessed us during that period. It's nothing that we did. Um, we saw raises that we didn't think would ever come. You know, I'm a, I'm a government employee. So raises are few and far between most of the time, and in those years, they weren't that much. And that not only compensated for everything that we were giving, but then some. It's amazing what God will do if you let him. But that's the thing. you got to let him, and you got to partner with him. So I'm going to do a, a real, real quick thing here on Caleb. How many of you guys remember the story of Caleb, right? He goes in. He's one of the original spies, one of the original 12, and it's only him and Joshua that come out with a positive attitude. The other 10 convince the rest of the Israelites that we're not ready to do this. So that what do they do? 40 years they spend. Caleb was 45 years old when he went in as a spy, about my age. He waited another 40 years until all those naysayers had died, and now they're ready to enter into the promised land, right? And Pastor talked about it last week. So what does he do? He pushes his way to the front of the line when it's time for his inheritance, and he says, I want this place, and it's Hebron. Hebron was a fortified city and the area around it. So what did he do? God gave him his inheritance, but it's not like he just handed over the deed. He had to go fight for it. He gathered up his men, and they went, and they conquered that area. 
we have to partner with the Lord and go forth and conquer. If we don't do that, he's, he's going to sit idly by and wait for us. It's important for us to partner with him and move forward. And that's what we're doing here. So we're asking you guys to partner with us in the vision that Pastor has, has laid forth. And we're going to move in and we're going to possess the land. And in doing so, hopefully we can replicate this again. And we can grow the kingdom through Elevate and reach more lost and have greater influence on not just the state of Florida, but throughout the world. Because we're doing some international stuff too. And we would like you guys to, to consider partnering with us and pray about it over the next four weeks. Was there, are we, we going to be available for questions after this? We can I'm be. I'm sure there'll be questions. Yeah, we can do uh, we. So what we can do, we, uh, how would you, whatever, we haven't talked I'll, about I'll be that, over here can, or over there. That. Just come find me. Yeah, I can yeah. answer any questions that you have. And yeah. if I can't, we'll, we'll find out. Yeah, we can, have, we can definitely um, answer questions. That's not a problem okay. at all. We just did it in a leadership meeting, so that's why I was right. like, we didn't talk about the one. Yeah. All right. That's all I have. I'm just asking you guys to partner <clears throat> with us and uh, join us in this endeavor and move the kingdom forward. Yeah. I, you know, yeah, come on. I would probably even um, suggest if you have questions regarding the fund, uh, email them. And that way, uh, you know, we, we can give you a more comprehensive response to the question that you're asking. And so Elevate Miami Church at Gmail. You can add any questions that you have about it or about, you know, what, 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 what's going on or anything like that. Just email them and then uh, we will respond to the questions that way. And that way it makes it a little bit more um, effective. You can get answers to the questions that you're really asking. Amen. Are you excited? Yeah. I'm excited. <laughs> it's step out of the boat into the unknown. It's cross the river with the water high, but Jesus has a plan and he has had a purpose. And I would say this to you, and it's an honor to you, to the group that's here, is that I don't feel like at any time in the history of this church has this church been ready to take on a project like this. And I feel, I was talking to my wife, we've been talking about this for a while, I just said I feel like there's just more of a maturity um, that's come to elevate uh, in the last couple of years than, than we, we've had before. And so it's an honor to you that when God looks at you and says, okay, you guys are ready, you know, not yet, not yet, not yet. You know how many times I've heard that? Not yet, not yet, not yet. I'm like, not yet, not yet, not yet. And so it always, Jesus would always give me side projects to do because it was the big projects that I'm asking him for. He's like, not yet, not yet, not yet. But this is a great project. And I don't even believe that we've seen what the fruit will be on the backside of this. And so it's very significant. It's impactful. And you guys can all be a part of this and get to be a part of this in some manner. And so we want to encourage you to do that. So basically, last takeaway, we'll have the cards printed up next week. Um, so we'll have the pledge card. You'll get a pledge card next week. We want you to pray about it. Some of you, you want to you whack. You want to go. You, you can hit the QR code, whatever. You want to do it. So what the pledge is going to do is it's going to give us an, an ability to tally what we have committed to the project so that we can start making decisions moving forward. Uh, we're going to be doing monthly updates. So we'll have monthly updates as to what the, where, where we are and where the totals are and all of that other stuff. And so we're hopefully going to have a monthly building party. P-A-R-T-Y because we gotta. So we're gonna have a, we'll, give, we'll give, be giving monthly updates and things like that. So uh, we'll, we're gonna keep everybody in the loop, you know, full transparency on the giving and what we're going to do and how we're going to do it. So to the best of our ability. Amen? Amen. All right. Well, we love you. God loves you. If you need prayer for anything, we'll have a prayer team available. And so, uh, and then I'm just gonna pray over you and then we're gonna dismiss and we'll have fire starters this afternoon. 
And so I'll do a little pitch on Firestarters. If you don't know anything about the Holy Spirit, this group's for you. So anybody go to Firestarters last week? Yeah. Come on. Who? Anybody? Got a few. Was it good? Yes. It's, was it good? Yeah, Firestarters is always good. So we have Firestarters tonight. Uh, it's going to be very edifying. We're going to be talking about the prophetic, and we're going to be doing some prophetic activations. So if you're, um, you want to hear God, you want to learn to hear God, tonight's tonight. And then uh, we got other things coming up off that as well. So let me bless you. Father, we just thank you for what you've begun, Lord. We just release your vision into the lives of these people. Lord, that you would use this with your spirit to unify us as one and as a body. And Lord, that you would thread this vision into our hearts and into our minds, Lord. We don't know what we're doing, but you do. We don't know where we're going, but you do. And Lord, you just point us in a direction and say, go that way. Get, just go that way. So Lord, we're following you. We're asking for your wisdom and your direction. And I pray for unity among us, Lord. And God, you would bring us together. You would speak to the hearts and the minds of the people and to the standard and the level of the giving that, they, that you want them to go to. And God, we bless you for that. And we give you glory for that. It's your work, Jesus. And so I just speak life over you. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you in every way. And may he give you peace. And may you forever live within his favor. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. God loves you. We love you. Have a great week. Prayer team's available.